The point of being a scientist is that you're now the explorer of the tribe of humanity. You are now out there to explore on behalf of your tribe. But then your job is also to come back and tell the story after the exploration. Mm. What have you seen out there that we don't know? Now you go back, you, you go out and see the world. Now for what I do, I see the universe. And then I come back and tell everyone, this is what the universe is like. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join Michael Holtz and his guests for conversations about all things ORAU. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, our impact on an ever-changing world, our innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers, and our commitment to the communities where we do business. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Recently, I had the opportunity to speak with several NASA National Postdoctoral Program research fellows about the amazing work that they're doing. And I got to tell you, I think you'll agree with me. Their work is amazing, and it's very interesting. If you're a space junkie like I am, you're going to nerd out on these conversations. Enjoy. Dr. Aaron Young, if you would talk to me about who you are, your current role as a NASA MPP fellow, and then just a little bit about your background. So How did you I, get to where you are? Right. So I am a MPP fellow at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, and I'm hired directly to work with the JWST team. So um, JWST, it would need not further introduction, is the uh, pretty much the mission of the century. It's the uh, most expensive, but also most powerful space telescope that was built and now in space doing science. So I am a theorist. I've been making predictions for this telescope since five years ago. Okay. So um, when I was a grad student, I create these galaxy models and we create predictions that the observers can use to forecast what the observations will see and to justify their science and to get observ- uh, to, to get telescope time. So um, in right when I graduated, um, the MPB program took me in and gave me this opportunity to continue this um, theory work um, here at Goddard Space Flight Center. So um, in the past couple of years, I have been working with JWST teams, you know, we anticipate future observations, but now the telescope is actually in space and doing science. So I'm involved in a lot of these projects that uh, in the, that goes uh, go after the most distant uh, galaxies in the universe. How do you, Aaron, from a layman's perspective, how do you model what you don't know? I mean, I know that's, that may sound like a dumb question, but how do you how do you model what we don't know? Not what we dumb haven't observed, at all. Not dumb at all, actually. So um, we do know something uh, largely thanks to the last generation of telescopes like Hubble, okay. like Spitzars. So by observing the nearby universe, we already are able to learn the incredible amount of. Um, physical processes that drives galaxy formation. We also combine this with other types of simulation. Um, for example, there are cosmological hydrodynamic simulations mm-hmm. that um, allowed us to simulate physical processes in a way that um, we cannot normally observe because they take a long time. So by combining these, we can put together a self-consistent model and we ask the question with this physics that we know, do we reproduce the galaxies in the earlier stages of the universe that we're about to see awesome and have you been able to determine if your early modeling lines up with what you're seeing or 
Is that still to be determined since I know that J- JWST is still pretty new? But It is. So it's been doing science for the past um, just nearly four months, actually. And there are already an incredible amount of observations and it already started the process of rewriting textbook. So uh-huh. um, what we found or what the observers found is that there are incredible amount of very bright, massive galaxies forming within the first couple hundred million years of of the universe's history. So the universe itself is 13.8 billion years old. So within the first couple hundred millions, meaning that it's just the first few percent of the universe's history, Mm -hmm. and there are these incredibly massive galaxies that formed at that time that we don't understand how they gained their mass so quickly within so short period of time after the universe was born, when the universe was so hot and conventionally we think that it requires, uh, it takes time for gas to cool before before stars can form in the galaxy. So there are physics definitely we don't fully understand now. And some people are even coming out and say, hey, this is breaking our current understanding of cosmology. This is, um, the, there's the standard model of cosmology called Lambda CDM, which is consists of the cold dark matter and dark energy, which predicts how the universe was formed and ev- evolve over time. But this seems to be raising some tension. Maybe the universe <laughs> is older than we thought. We don't know. That has to be exciting, though, to sort of be on the cutting edge of that scientific inquiry, but also changing what we thought we knew. Yes. So um, I kept telling people about um, this is how science is being done in real time. So there are things that has been written on textbook, which is we took years of science to 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 distill to get to a point that, you know, it, it goes into textbook. But right. before that happens, there are these um, cycle that you know, theory and observations works together. So the way I describe this is um, astronomers are like someone riding on a bike or just humanity in general. And sometimes theorists put a foot down by making predictions. And so we go forward a little bit. But then observers go do observation and they look at the universe and tell us what the universe is actually like. So um, the observer put another foot down and then the theorists now scratch our head and try to model these galaxies and explain how this works uh, together. And then we put another foot down and this whole field advances in our understanding of the universe. I love that analogy. That makes perfect sense. Um, Aaron, have you always been interested in science? Was it, was it something that came to you as a kid? Did you get interested later, in high school and college? Or, you know? So this is, um, yes. And there's a little story behind this. So physics always have a special place in, in my heart. I'm okay. always curious about how the world around me works. You know, go back to playing Lego blocks, you know, building stairs and pushing things over. You know, everything is to me is about understanding how things behave in the world. Right. But then I was really bad at math in school. <laughs> Not joking. So um, I, I barely passed math all the way up to high school. And I graduated high school with, I think, um, Algebra 2 in American terms. So um not a not a particular advanced math class. So then I went to college. And at first I majored in finance and I thought that would be it. But then I was encouraged by someone, an uncle of mine, actually, to pursue something I really like because I only get one chance. I got four years. I can do whatever I want. So <laughs> I, I I did well in the first calculus class I took. I got an A. It gives okay. me some confidence that I can actually do math. 
And then um, I, I also um, was bold enough to switch over to major in physics, hoping that I would at least pass out. Right. And not knowing that I did graduate with a physics and math uh, double major in, in 2014. And that was around the time I considered to maybe I should pursue graduate study in astrophysics. So I was, right. I, was, I was also given the chance to do astrophysics research as an undergrad, and that carried me forward. And I was in grad school for a few years, and I get to start working with the James Webb Space Telescope, which at the time, no one knows when it would be launched. Right. And, then, and then here I am now. Amazing. What a great story. Um, Aaron, so how long have you been a NASA fellow? I've been a fellow since uh, October 2020, so this is okay. the beginning of my third year. Gotcha. Um, it sounds like there's been a tremendous impact on your career being a NASA MPP fellow. Um, talk a little bit more about that. I mean, I know you're you're working now <laughs> with the telescope that really didn't exist when you started, <laughs> right? It was a it was a theory when you started working on the models, right? Yeah, it's been, well, of course, three decades of hard work. A lot of people put in their effort way before me, and I joined sure. sort of at the tail end, so I survived. So the fun part is when I graduated from uh, from my PhD, it was uh, back in 2020, I was looking for a postdoc job, and no one hired me at that time. I, I My work was okay, but no right. one hired me because mostly no one knows when GWST will be launched. Again, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the mission of the century, but also it's been notoriously delayed for a few times. Right, so, right. so the MPP program offered a chance that I can apply and go work with NASA, which is the only organization, hopefully, uh, probably at that time, that, <laughs> that actually need people work on JWST. And um, my advisor, John Gardner, uh, we met a few times before um, we actually worked with together. But um, he he gave me a lot of good advice for how to approach this application. And at the end, this was my chance to um, continue my career, continue to make more theory predictions for that two extra years, which is very much needed to keep my career going. Mm-hmm. But now I, 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 I get to actually work with Telescope because of the program. Right. Very cool. Um, is there an element of science that or of STEM that you find most empowering? Um, what kind of elements are we talking about here? Um, I guess, is there something about being a scientist that, um, you find either empowering in your work, in your life? Um, so yes, I I think I get a sense of that now. So, um, I'll tell you, it's actually the storytelling part. So actually this, this was way back when I was in high school. It's, it's an acquaintance. I have not started doing science yet, but a friend of mine, which was a scientist, he used to study reverse streams and stuff like that. So nothing to do with astrophysics. But okay. he told me the point of being a scientist is that you're now the explorer of the tribe of humanity. You are now out there to explore on behalf of your tribe. But then your job is also to come back and tell the story after the exploration. Mm. What have you seen out there that we don't know? Now you go back, you go out and see the world. Now for what I do, I see the universe. And then I come back and tell everyone, this is what the universe is like. You know, when I was a kid, I was curious, but I did not know there are people studied that study the universe. I didn't have that resources, didn't know these books existed. But then now I know this. So I also do a lot of outreach. 
um, I, I go tell kids, hey, do we have a telescope? This is what we will see. And then um, from there, we can understand the universe's history. How does that work? Well, this is how it works. We have a time machine. Right, right. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> I was just talking to one of your colleagues um, about the, the early pictures that came back from the JWST. Um, what was that like for you to see, you know, firsthand those those first pictures that, you know, of course, they, you know, were, were published and put in the public conscience. But as a scientist who's been around this project for as long as you have, how did that feel? It's, it's actually more sentimental than I first um, anticipated. So okay. I was actually at Stockholm at that time for a conference. So when the U.S. drops those um, photos at, I think, something like 5 or 7 p.m., it was almost midnight in Stockholm. Okay. And a bunch of us, the astronomers, are gathering in, at first, the bar. The bar closed, so they kick us out to the hotel lobby. And then we still have the two bottles of champagne, but we're all waiting for that uh, Webb's first deep field image. But that that, that's, that was obviously really sentimental, but um, there are also several other moments that really touches me. For example, I personally, my my the moment for for that makes me feel real is that the the when NASA released that image of JWST fully folded up. Actually, it dates back to November when JWST is fully assembled and folded up. We have never seen JWST in that shape before. It was right. only the first frame of the first few frame of the animated sequence how it unfolds. But seeing a real JWST in folded up position mean that, means that we're done. We're ready to go. You know, after so many years, we're ready to actually launch it. It's not just right. a projected launch date. It's an actual, uh, <laughs> you know, we're ready to go. And there are also um, the 30 days of terror. Some people might call that. I call it 30 days of good news. While JWST is in the sky, unfolding on its way to the orbit, um, it's, we, we follow the, every step of it. I get hourly update on it. And it, it is so exciting to see that everything is working. And in March, it sends back the first set of engineering image. And that actually gave us the actual first glimpse of its performance and how it compared to past telescope. And that absolutely blown me away. Right. So yeah, there are so many moments of these that um, really touches my heart and really keeps me going because there are days that I would just write code. That's what I do as, as, as an right. actual day well, job. And I, I love the image of you and your astro, astrophysics scientific colleagues, you know, in Stockholm, in a hotel lobby, celebrating, yes. um, you know, together, even though it's midnight, but celebrating together because you've all been living for that kind of moment i i i can see how that would be completely sentimental absolutely yeah it's been so long we had jennifer wiseman who's the project scientist of hubble who was with there with us we also have dan cole from space telescope who is involved in the reduction the actual cre actual creation of those first images of jwst okay. so we get a personal tour of what is in there and what to look after all the details so it was a little of a privilege to be able to hang out with these people when the image dropped but also all of us were just excited no matter how long we have been with the project sure Absolutely. Um, Aaron, I know that, and you've talked about this a little bit, you know, science is a collaborative process. You're working with scientists of various disciplines. It's, you're also in a mentor um, fellowship as well. Talk about those things together, if you would, 
one, the collaborative process, but also the importance of mentorship. Yeah, so um, I am a junior scientist myself. So um, I have been both a mentee and starting to transition over to do some mentoring work. Awesome. So um, it, it turns out doing science is, is never meant to be a, a, a lone process. You don't do it on your own. It's really learning everything, not just the knowledge, but also the work style, the skills. It, they pass on from a person to the next person when you work with someone or from a group to another group. And the culture also pass on. So we, sometimes we talk about inclusivity and things like that. It really comes from a, you know, a good working environment, which builds me so that I would take it with me to the next place. So as a theorist who work with a telescope, I am required to collaborate a lot. I work with many observing teams. Um, so there are a lot of things that I learned from the process. For example, um, um, when I talk to um, a, an observer who needs to create a mock images, um, there are things that us theorists take for granted, which the observers would have never thought of. So it, it's this, there is a general um, disconnection between the theory and observation community, which I see myself as the breach for that. So my functional work is, yes, I work with these observing teams. I am, I am collaborating with them, but also I, my work and myself now facilitate as the um, the bridge between the community, between the observing community and the uh, theory community. So um, this is actually a, a, a thing that should have been done for a long time, but hasn't been done much. So um, so as a result, now we actually have more theory comparison or theory mentioned in observation papers. Okay. So the, obs the observers, when they write a paper, they can ask themselves, or we ask ourselves, um, does this observation make sense? How do they stack up with current theory? And does is the current theory sub uh, sufficient to explain what we see, or we just don't understand it at all? So, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's great. Um, what would you, what would you tell um, an up and coming scientist, someone who might be following in your footsteps? What would you, what would you tell them? Yeah. So um, I always recommend uh, or when a, a high school student or a more junior person approach me, I always tell them, do something that you are truly excited about and don't just follow where the money goes. A lot of people do. When um, there's a big project happening, people always want to jump into it and hopefully, you know, ride on the hype and, and become part of something bigger. But these projects come and go and there is really, it's, important, it's also important to know that it's hard to jump in because there are people investing mm. a decade of the effort into making this project. But as long as I'm doing something I really like, for example, I, I fall in love with Galaxy early on in graduate school. So I just love Galaxy and I, I can do Galaxy with any telescope. And just give me a computer, I can also do Galaxy without a telescope. Right. But it's important to explore Explore enough in grad school. You can take advantage of being a grad student. Try as many things as you like without delaying graduation. <laughs> I'm <gonna> say that <laughs> safely. But um, but just try something new and um, figure out what might be your true love, and then go spearhead and follow through that. Love it. So figure out what it is that that you love and and follow that. Yeah. That's awesome. Why would you recommend a NASA MPP fellowship to others? Well, 
NASA, it's a very special place uh, for for um, for the thing I do, or that might be analogous to uh, your interest, a student's interest. So, um, unlike a, 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 a traditional university, we have access to people actually building hardware, building a space telescope, building a balloon-borne telescope, building a um, telescope that fly on a plane. So being able to directly talk to these people, just meet them, you'll see how um, the hardware side of things connect with the astrophysics, you know, with the things that we use this hardware to do. So there are some rare occasions that we get to influence the choice uh, the design choice of an instrument. For example, when the Roman Space Telescope has an extra future slot open up, they just solicit for you know simulations and reasoning. Why should we add this future? And mm -hmm. we were able to quickly do some simulations and tell them, hey, with these future choices, this will be the science outcome, which is something they can consider. So um, these are things that a traditional university would not be able to offer. Awesome, and and you have. Um, as we've talked a little bit, you get to explore your ideas. You get to talk about, you know, this might work a little bit differently or this might, you know, help us down the road. So you you have a lot of input in the work that you're doing, but the overall project. Um, last question for you, Aaron, is what brings you joy? So there are days, of course, I was locked up, especially when I was a grad student in the basement. Now, more, <laughs> we've been <laughs> locked up and cold all day, which does not bring me joy necessarily. Sure. But there are times like when we receive the first image of GWST, when we look at the full resolution image, which is 300 something megabyte in a JPEG file, when we just zoom in and look at the glorious detail, you know, it's almost like doing your own sightseeing in the the deep mm -hmm. universe and look at those cute spiral galaxies look at the string of galaxies that almost like pac-man eating a string of beans yeah yeah look at all those things and it's all worth it the late night crunching everything now we get to actually see what the universe is like and ask ourselves do we understand what is going on in there or there's more for us to discover is there more galaxies than we thought because physics is not exactly what we think it is right. so being able to understand and see the universe firsthand really brings me joy awesome Aaron thank you so much for spending this time with me I really appreciate it Thank you so much. It's Thank been you. great talking to you and getting to know more about your work. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU and on Instagram at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORAU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.